don't you get up on your feet. Let's find somebody and tell them good morning. people in Texas. I want you to know that. It is so good to see you this morning, um, and uh, I'm glad you've chosen to be with us. 
Lots of people out of town. We want to pray for them as they're traveling. Lots of people sick. We want to pray that they get better. This, this, we are, we are having a real winter this year. In case you didn't notice. Finally, it is kind of fun, isn't it? Kind of festive. And uh, in the tradition of Texas, we are expecting spring to start in about a week, right? <laughs> and, and that's good with us. As soon as New Year is over, after the rose parade, bang, get it warm again. We're ready. Let's start mowing our lawns. And actually, I was out on my lawnmower the other day because my neighbors blew their leaves in my yard. So I went mulched them and sent them right back. If you would take your worship guides and open them, I want to highlight a few things upcoming. Uh, but good morning. Great to have you here. We got people watching on the internet. Thanks for watching. Our hope and our prayer. We're glad. If you're visiting, we're glad you're here. If you're watching for the first time, we're glad you're watching. Our hope and our prayers that we can encourage you today. Uh, we really want you to fall in love with Jesus, but uh, we are super glad that, uh, that you've chosen to be here. Um, we're going to have a, a, this morning, uh, we're going to be all over the scriptures. Uh, and then next week, we're going to start back in our study of Samuel. So uh, next week is, is, oh, by the way, it's going to be, we, we've decided as leaders, church is still going to be free for the next 12 months. So Sunday mornings, you will not require a ticket. So yeah, yeah, amen. So, so please feel free to come and bring people. It'll be free. So um, some highlights in here. Uh, uh, let's see, what do I need? Oh, there's no GPS today. So everybody's going to remain in here during the service. So kids, you'll be with us uh, this morning. Um, also, Wednesday night, we have our Guatemalan missionaries are in the States, and they wanted to share. So this Wednesday night, they are going to be sharing with us in here. Uh, everything resumes this week. So Tuesday morning, men's timeout, our Bible study. Guys, if you've never been to that, it starts at 630. We end about 10 after 7. We meet in the welcome area. We have coffee, and then we open the Word of God, and we would love to have you. Daryl Douglas leads us in that, and uh, we'd love to have you join us for that. Uh, 630 every Tuesday morning. Uh, Wednesday night, we'll be back to our normal schedule. Children, students, um, uh, we'll, we'll be doing all of our normal things, so plan on joining us for that. The adults this week will have a, a missionary, as I said, our Guatemalan missionaries. Information in the worship guide about that, the Davis family. Um, if you are available, adults, at 6, to come help us undeck the halls, it'll take us about 20 minutes. Uh, we would sure appreciate that. We need to put everything in storage for another 10 and a half months. Um, I, I looked, Christmas is on the way again, so we'll put it away and we'll redecorate and all that stuff. So if you're able to help us this Wednesday night, we would appreciate it. Um, I think that's all the announcements I have for this morning. If our ushers would make their way up front, uh, we will prepare for our offering. Uh, the money that we take in our offering time uh, goes for missions, supporting this. Uh, we have about 8,000 missionaries that we support along with 14 missionaries that we support independently through our church. We're a very mission-minded organization. That's where this money goes. All of that is to say this, that if you are, if this is not your home church, please don't give. Uh, this is uh, for those who attend here on a regular basis. Uh, we're just glad you're here. Oh, one more thing. On your seats this morning uh, was a New Testament through the year reading plan. We would encourage you to do that. Just read through the New Testament this year, something um, that we thought would be encouraging and helpful to you. So, Please plan on doing that. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we're thankful that you love us. Um, thank you that we can gather here each week and sing and study your word and enjoy each other. And I pray that you would be blessed in our time here today. And, and Father, I pray for those that are traveling from our church family that are all over the country, uh, that will be celebrating with family tonight and heading back tomorrow. Or Father, those who are sick among us, I, I, 
I think of uh, Stephen Lewis, who's in the hospital. Uh, we pray that you'd continue to heal his body and, and uh, allow him to get back home and, and get on with his normal life. Lots of folks with the flu and pneumonia, Lord, please heal them and draw them to yourself. And uh, Lord, we, we think of Trisha Fullen and her family right now and the passing of her brother and then her sister's real sick. And God, would you just bring that family peace and comfort? And uh, Lord, for those that aren't mentioned that you know of that are part of our family, be with them. And Lord, as we, as we look now at another year of life, I pray that you would focus us on your plan for us. Uh, we do love you. Um, thank you that you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen.
the cross of Calvary, where mercy died to set us free. Lift him high, all praise to Jesus. Oh, lift him high for all to see. Lift him high, the cross of Calvary, where mercy died to set Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. And will you find grace to help us when we need it most? righteousness oh a thousand years 
you guys uh you can stand you can sit if you want to whatever you want let's just take a minute here at the end of the year going into the next year let's take a minute and just think about what we just sing boldly we can approach we have a high priest who understands what it's like to be here so just take a minute quietness however you want to do it just take a minute and just reflect on that Christ has come, Christ has come, hallelujah. 
Christmas to us. What a great song. I think that, I think that is one of the uh, best Christmas choruses because it really tells why Jesus came. Don't look at me like that. I'm not, it's not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit. In you. You're not that good, dude. So did you guys have a good Christmas? What did you get for Christmas? Somebody tell me. Talk to me. Let, let's start. This is, this is our New Year's Eve thing, and, and we've got lots of people sick, lots of people away, so we're going to be a little more casual. I'm going to break some of the preaching rules this morning. I know some of you are thinking, you always do. That's what keeps you here. What did you get for Christmas? Your son had a custom-made T-shirt of you or for you? For you? What did it say? Don't make me use my dad bowling voice. Cool. All right. What else did you get? You, you got one of those things you talk to? I, I can ask him any question I want, and it, unlike you, answers them all. <laughs> That's not nice. I'm getting a visual, though, of you talking to that thing. Googie, Googie, did you guys see that video on Facebook, that woman trying to talk to it? That was not nice. Taking a shot at the preacher. Do not stand against God's anointed. A bear will come out of the woods. It's not funny. It doesn't make up for disrespect. By the way, that verse is so taken out of context. What did you get? 
There you go. I got neither of those. I got neither. I got a salt and pepper shaker. No lie. Ask my family. Seriously, I got a salt and pepper shaker. What did you get, Abby? An easy roller? So your dad's going to have you paint the house? You got a pedal car. How cool is that? Anybody else get a pedal car? Huh? You got one too? Well, that's awesome. You got an art? Like a... Like a Very cool. Does it have paper and everything that you can rip off? Make sure you paint me something. I'll put it in my office. I will like that. What else do you get? Somebody else? Something really sentimental, something soft-hearted. Yes, what'd you get? A computer. That's sentimental to the millennial generation. What did you get? You got what? Your sobriety. Congratulations on that. Excellent. I wonder what Bailey Watson got for her Christmas gift. That's right, she bought herself a diamond ring right there, baby. Come on, Mitch, take a bow, buddy. They got engaged for Christmas. That's exciting. Now, he didn't say he was ever going to marry her. He just wanted to give her the rock and tie her down there. That's great. Congratulations, you guys. Did anybody else get anything? What did you get? That's a cool gift, isn't it? First time in seven years your whole family's together? What else you get? Indigestion. <laughs> I tell you what, one thing I like is a, con a congregation with a sense of humor. <laughs> wow. Well, I hope you had a wonderful time celebrating. We did. We uh, we got uh, we did our Christmas and then we took off out of town. Some of you probably saw it on, on Instagram. We went up to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Lots of people are going. What's in Tulsa? Well, the Clarks are in Tulsa. We went to dinner with them. That was fun. Uh, I got a sriracha booger, burger, booger, <laughs> no, <laughs> that gave me heartburn, but it was good, worth, worth getting. But we went up to, uh, outside of Tulsa, about 45 minutes, we went to, some. you know who Pioneer Woman is? Ree, Ree Drummond, we're personal friends with her family. Uh, we went to the ranch and uh, ate breakfast in their, in their place, so actually they don't know us. I put pictures all over and I, I, I like put her name on it and not one did she like. So we no longer like Pioneer Woman, but uh, we had a good time. They have a mercantile up in, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of the town. It'll come out inappropriate. But, but uh, then they had their ranch open, and we went and took a tour of it, and that was pretty fun. And uh, so we had a really good time. There was a light show in Tulsa that if you are a Christmas person, you got to go up there and see it. I've never seen anything like it. Outside of Disney, for real. It is about 10 acres of Christmas lights set to music. Uh, and it's, uh, what is it, Rama Bible Church? and uh, their college in there, and they use, they use the students as slave labor, and it is, it is pretty phenomenal. But uh, worth, worth every bit of going up there, and we had a really nice time. And uh, We were up in, in Indian country, and I had not been up to Oklahoma before like that, and I saw no teepees. Very disappointing, personally. I know some of you don't know whether to laugh or not, because that seems racist. But uh, it's a new year tomorrow, and I'm going to start over. <laughs> uh, I know... <laughs> I know that we don't think of ourselves uh, as Christians really a, in terms of being royal very much. It, it, is there something, we, we, we are, uh, we feel better being humble um, and seeing ourselves and talking about ourselves like the bumper sticker, not perfect, just forgiven. 
Uh, I'm not sure that the reason we do that is just for humble reasons. I think a lot of it is don't look at me because I'm going to screw up probably today. So I don't want you staring at me. If I present myself as royal, as the child of God, much more will be expected of me. And I think, I think for a lot of us, we, don't, we, we purely are more comfortable in thinking of ourselves as just saved, just forgiven, just going to heaven. And uh, we, leave, we leave the other aside. We, we don't really think about, when we think about being an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven or being royal, being a child of God, uh, we think that the value in that would be to evangelize, but for most of us, we don't see ourselves as Paul or John or, or, or any of those guys. We, we just, we're going to let somebody else do the evangelizing because we're not faithful enough to do the evangelizing. So we kind of want somebody else to do that. And I'll be honest with you, I think that it has put us at a distinct disadvantage. I don't think that we have, most Christians I know of, have really engaged their, their position in Christ, which is given to you because it's important. It's given to us because it's important. Um, we see how Paul lived his life is a big deal and how Peter and the apostles, but not us. I mean, we're just sinners saved by grace and we're glad to be going to heaven. And maybe if somebody once in a while comes in our path uh, and asks us, puts a gun to our head and asks us if we're Christians, yes, we'll say. But beyond that, we're, we're pretty much just trying to live under the radar a lot. Um, but the truth is, we weren't, Jesus didn't really come, to be honest with you. And, and I've been talking about this the last few weeks and I want to reiterate that before I get in to what I want to share with you this morning. But Jesus did not come to save you from hell. Okay, I want to make that clear. This is really important. That's a side benefit. That's like saying the reason, the reason I want to stay healthy is so that I don't go to the hospital. That might, in fact, be a part of the reason, but the reason you want to be healthy is so that you can do healthy things. I mean, the reason you want to be healthy is so that it, it's not just about a location, it's about a lifestyle. And, and, and too often, in our humbleness, we have allowed ourselves to be relegated as people who are no different than anybody else. We're just not going to hell. And the, true is, the truth is, um, well, let me take you through some verses. I, this morning's journey is going to be a scripture journey. I'm just going to take you through. For, for instance, John 3.16 out of the King James Version you're very familiar with. It said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I talked about that two weeks ago. I know you know the rest of the verse, but sometimes it's really healthy for us to stop and think about the few words that come before the part we think about. Like, why did he send his son? Because he loved us. Okay, pastor, so I'm a, I'm a sinner that's loved by God and have been saved by grace. Ephesians 1.5 tells us how in love with us he was. What did he want? It says God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. That's what gave him great pleasure. It was not keeping us out of hell that brought him great pleasure. It wasn't just making a sinner saved by grace. It was actually to make us his kids. That was his plan. And I hope that as we've talked about this for 12 years now, and I hope that as we continue to talk about it, and I continue to drill this down in your hearts and your brains, that you begin to realize that Jesus Christ did not come under the order of the Father solely for the purpose of keep you, keeping you from hell. The reason he came is to pay the price for your sins so that you could be adopted. And as adopted children of God, you become joint heirs with Christ. Therefore, when you die, you go to heaven because that's God's home. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to leave you now, and the good news is you're not going to hell. That's not what he said. He said, I am going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. And in my Father's house, there's many rooms. And when they're done, and it's time, I'm going to come back and get you. 
You see, it was never about hell until, until we, we got into quick evangelism. And I, I get it. The scripture says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's a place for that. But it seems like for many of us, we never emotionally and intellectually and internalized the fact that it's way more than not going to hell. And I would say that we have a crisis in Christian country, if that's what the South is, with understanding that Jesus Christ did not come just to keep you out of hell so that at VBS at four years of age you could accept his offer to forgive you because what his offer actually wasn't was just to forgive you, it was to adopt you. To adopt us. That was his plan. And it is a big, huge deal. It's a big deal. In fact, Galatians 4, 4-7 says this. Not only in Ephesians 1, 5 does it tell us that it brought him pleasure to adopt us, which was his unchanging plan, but in Galatians chapter 4, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a, vir of, of a woman, subject to the law. Merry Christmas, what we just went through. God sent him to do what? To buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that, here's the reason, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. So the end game was not to set you free. The end game was to make you adoptable by setting you three, free through the blood of Christ. Do you see it? But I, I would like to say right now that Satan has a vested interest. Since he can't keep you from hell, he's going to keep you from your purpose. You see, there's a twofold purpose in your salvation. One is to adopt you, and that's wonderful. He brings you into his family. But then it's to put you in the family business. And most Christians never get into the family business because we spend all of our time living in the flesh, living for ourselves. We never get to being royal or living like a royal because we're so busy living kind of like a Christian but still acting just like the world. There has to be a difference or not. But that may be why people aren't really interested in what we have to say because our lives are really not that different. And I want to go back to a lot of what we're taught. I think that you're not told enough on a regular basis, not you at Carpenter's Way, but the church in general is not, does not talk about the fact that you are adopted into the family of God, and that makes a difference. So, so let me keep reading this. Uh, his, so that he could adopt us as his very own children, verse 6 of Galatians 4. And because we are his children, God sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Daddy, Abba, means Daddy, now you are no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So we're not done. As we prepare to embark on a new year, together as a church, as, we think, as I've been thinking about 2018, none of us have any idea what this year is going to hold. We have no idea what's going to happen in, in D.C. or Hollywood or in our own lives or in our own community. We have no idea. Some of us have, we have fears and we have exciting things, but the truth is none of us know what this year will hold. But for the child of God, because of God's love and because he wanted us to be in his family, he is asking of us certain things that I think we should be aware of this morning before we enter a new year. This fact is true, 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people. You, written by Peter, the apostle, to Gentiles. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are, in fact, a holy nation. God's very own possession. You are not any longer sinner saved by grace. You are royalty. And I, 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 wanted, I understand the bumper sticker, and I understand the concept and the church sign, but let me be clear. 
under New Testament concept, content, uh, uh, concept of adoption, when you are adopted into a new family, you are equally adopted out of your old family. Therefore, you give up all rights and recognition to that which you have left. So in other words, to say that we are mere sinner, merely sinners saved by grace is not a biblical concept. You are no longer a sinner because Jesus Christ took your sin, according to 1 Corinthians 5.21, and he exchanged it for his righteousness. You as the children of God stand before him right now, pure and holy, right now. Well, you don't know what I did last night. Yeah, but God does, and he knew it on the cross. Your sin is either forgiven or it's not forgiven. It's not half forgiven. It's not three-quarters forgiven. It's forgiven, and you have been either adopted or not adopted. If you are not adopted, you're not a child of God. If you are adopted, then you're royal, and you should act like it. Well, I don't want to act like it. Okay, but don't be surprised when you have no joy, no peace. You, you, we, we, uh, we live in a culture where everybody wants to be what they're not. For instance, the Denver Broncos called me last week and asked me if I was serious about being their quarterback next year. I said, sure, what's the pay like? You know what, I will never be the quarterback for the Houston Texans. That's how bad I'd be. Pretty bad. They won't call. I will never be that because that is not... <laughs> how come, Kevin, every time I talk about sports, I think of you? The, the fact is, you guys, that you can't be whatever you want. That is a lie of culture. For instance, I will never be a girl. No matter how bad I... I might want to be. I said might want to be. I will never be a girl. You can even change physiologically me, but my DNA tells me what I am. I'm sorry if that offends people, but I will also never be a rock or a quarterback. I will probably never be president. <laughs> the, the, the fact is, you are what you are, and you are adopted into giftedness by God through the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ, and therefore, there is a life that can be lived to the fullest in the power of God. But most of us are still walking around like sinners saved by grace. Forgetting that we're a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, uh, God's very own possession. Romans 8, 17 says this of us. Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs with God, of God's glory. Other English translations actually say that we are joint heirs with Christ to the Father's wealth and his glory. In other words, now get this, you're going to have to study this because some of you are going to think this is heretical, but let me be as clear as I can. According to the New Testament, you are joint heirs, equal heirs with Christ. In other words, when God adopted you and I into his family, he said, the Father said, you are as important to me as my son. How crazy is that? We still see as Jesus and God and the Father, the Trinity, and I know we don't figure that out, just bear with me. Let's pretend there isn't, they aren't one for a second. Let's pretend they're three, which they are, but they're not. But let's, uh, let's pretend for a second. We would, we would still say that because of the way we think and feel, we would say that, well, God the Father loves Jesus more than he loves us. Well, that's not what the New Testament says. In fact, you could make the case that on the cross, when his son was born, he, he chose to love you and I more than his own son. Well, how can you say that? Because he killed his son so that we could be adopted. When it came down to our life versus Jesus' life, he chose us over him. Do you see that? That's a big deal. That's how loved and precious you are. But not just to keep you out of hell, but to make you his kid. 
So when you die, those of you who are poor or those of you who are rich, this is why the New Testament teaches us to put the value in things in God's wealth, not our own wealth, where rust and thief can't destroy. Because everything in heaven is ours. Including the throne that the Father is seated on. If I'm truly a joint heir, as the New Testament teaches, then I own the throne. I'm not just going to Jesus' Father's house to live, and, and then I'll learn the, the rules of the house, and I'll know when to walk and when to sit, and, and, and doing all that genuflicting and religious stuff. That's not how it's going to be. The minute we get into the kingdom, that is our home. We have inherited that home. We are, well, I, I've been watching the crowd, and some of you have picked up the crowd. We're like Charles when he's that old running around the queen's house. They, they're, there's uh, some specials, and I know I'm obsessed with the royals right now, so just bear with me. But it's been fascinating for me to read this and study this in light of that. We were watching a special, I don't know what it was on, but, but on uh, the, the, uh, the royal family has been watching lately videos that have been taken since Elizabeth was a little girl, since her daddy was taking her. And they're watching them, and they put, they put members of the royal family together, and they're watching these films, and they're reacting. Oh, I remember that when we were playing. And one thing that has really been, what was one neat one, is they, there was a Christmas segment where they showed Christmases in the palace. And I mean, you're, you're looking at palace, and on the wall are paintings that are hundreds of years old of the kings and the queens of years past. And as you're looking at it, you've got these little kids running around and driving their little cars around this place that you and I couldn't even, we'd have to take our shoes off. Why? Because that's their home. When you get to heaven, it is not going to look like a TBN studio. It's not going to look like a church. It's not going to feel like a cold thing where you're always arguing with the Steve Hicks of heaven telling him to turn the temperature up or down. It's not like that. It's home. You get to mess with the thermostat yourself. You're not asking permission. It's home. Because you, my family, are royal. You're royal. This is not your home. Really, you were adopted out of this. And when we turn on TV or the media or the, or the news or whatever, and you go, how can these people be so crazy in their thinking? The answer is because they don't think like you. I got bad news for you. You're the wacko ones, not them. You see, the world out there is absolutely trying to have a good day. Because today's the only day that matters. YOLO, remember? You live once. But as a child of God, a royal, who has been sent here to be an ambassador, I understand that I'm not trying to live once, because I don't live once, I live twice, and now's the hard time. That, that the reality is, for the person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, this is the closest thing to heaven they'll ever experience. But for us, this is as close to hell as we'll ever get. And somewhere along the line, we were taught or we began thinking that we could marry our flesh with spiritual life. And I got news for you. The reason the church is often joyless or peaceless is because we don't live and think as royals. We live and think as sinners saved by grace. And it's my job to remind you, you are not merely a sinner saved by grace. You are royalty. And it's time for us to act like it. Now, one of the rules of preaching is don't read long passages of Scripture. Having said that, you understand that much of the New Testament letters were read or written to be read to flocks, right? Did you know that? 
I mean, when Peter wrote a letter, he sent it to the pastor of a church, and that pastor was supposed to stand before the flock and just read it because it was a message for the people. Same with Romans. First and second Peter, Ephesians, it was supposed to be read. So if you'll bear with me this morning, I want to let you hear directly from a couple apostles this morning as to what's expected of you in 2018. What does God want from you? What's the royal life look like? And I got news for you. None of this is brain surgery. You're going to go, oh, yeah. Well, that sounds like my third grade Sunday school teacher. What your third grade Sunday school teacher did well was teach you about morality. What she did badly is not teach you why it matters. You see, we are not here to be moral because we have to be moral. We're here to live because that reflects the value system of our royal daddy. If the world is going to listen to us tell them that there is hope for them, then we better be a people of hope. If, on the other hand, the church is more freaked out and prepping, if you're digging holes in your backyard and putting three-bedroom homes down there because you are sure that North Korea is going to land a nuke right here in the middle of Lubkin, then your peace is placed in the wrong place. Are you saying I shouldn't prep for the end of the world? I guess you see, for the child of God who's a royal, we understand that as scary as death is, the best place for me is 10 seconds after I'm dead. I mean, it really, really is. You know that, right? I mean, really, you know that here, right? Those of you who are young, you don't believe that yet. You're going to have to trust me on this. But as you get older and your body starts taking control of your health, what happens is you begin realizing, well, maybe that's not so bad. But I want to make it clear. I want you, actually, I want you to understand that 10 seconds after you're dead for a child of God is the best moment of your life. It really, really is. Really, really, really is. It's that moment that faith becomes sight, that we no longer see through a glass dimly, that we see him, that peace overwhelming takes place, that we receive our full salvation, that we receive our inheritance. You see, men and women, well, let me let, you, let, me, let, me let Peter talk to you for a few minutes. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you'll grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, cry out for it. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you're living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scripture says, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never, ever be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, and he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall, Jesus. Now you know why the world doesn't want him. They stumble because they don't obey God's word. And so they will meet the fate that was planned for them. But you're not like that. For you are chosen people. Twice, he says. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. God's very possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, now you do. Now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. Dear friends, 
I warn you as, temp as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. I'm going to read that again. For the Lord's sake, you want me to submit to Trump only if you're a Democrat. What if Hillary had been president? Would I have to submit to her? Absolutely. Well, that's not good for my life. She's going to take my gun away. Well, it doesn't say you do it for yourself. It says you do it for your father's sake. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as the head of the state or the officials he's appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish, foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you're God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they're kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God's pleased. For God has called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we're healed. Once we were sheep who wandered away, but now we have turned to our shepherd, the guardian of our souls. J just a side note on this. I'm in 1 Peter 3 now. Just so you know, somebody actually helped me. Who was king when this was being written? Anybody remember? Nero. You remember Nero. He was the guy who used to take Christians and fillet their skin off their body and make lampshades out of them for his garden. He would dip others in hot oil and light them on fire so that during his parties they would run around and light up his garden. Well, that's not very nice. This was never about if it was nice for us. I mean, that's the thing we're missing. We're royal. We're royals. Remember what happened in Benghazi? Remember that? That little thing where our ambassador was killed? No matter whose fault it is, don't get political. But the truth is, when you're an ambassador, there's a risk, right? First Peter 3, in the same way. All right, take a deep breath. Wives, must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do this. Do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, husbands, you must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may, be uh, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. 
Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. I love that. It's not always a good love, but it is love. Be tender-hearted. Keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Just, just a side note, who's he talking to right here? Brothers and sisters. So we're going to have evil in our midst, right? Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. And stay, instead, pay back with a blessing. That is what God has called us to do, and he will grant you this blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for, search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Talking to believers. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their, of their threats. Instead, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you for the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. I, I want to put a little side note on that. And, and what that looks like is this. How is it that you can have hope in times like this? We have a tendency to think somebody's going to walk up and say, could you tell me about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how I can have one? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about living such good lives and lives of hope and peace, realizing we're royal and God has it solved, that we trust in him so much so that the world looks at us and goes, what is wrong with you crazy people? Do you not care that you are about to die at the hands of Rocket Man? And we say, you know, cancer, rockets, it's all in God's hands. So you trust God that much? Yeah, he's my dad. That, my friends, is what impacts the world. Instead, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be prepared to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So then, Christ, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. This isn't very happy on New Year's Eve. It sets you up. Be ready to suffer too, for if you have suffered physically for Christ, you've finished with sin. What does that mean? It means that if your focus is to be on being faithful in difficult times, you're not going to be feeding your flesh. This is very practical. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, immorality, lust, their feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, and terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do, so they slander you. Anybody experience that? Your wife has changed you. Ever since you started going to church, you're no longer fun. Ever hear that? But remember, they're going to have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they will now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming. Soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. 
Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those in need of a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve each other. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the world. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you must be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or, paying into, or, or prying into other people's affairs. But it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment. And it must begin with God's house. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those, awaits those who never obey God's good news. Scripture says, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you're suffering in a matter that pleases God, keep on doing what's right and trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. And now a word to you who are elders or pastors in churches. I too am a pastor and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder or pastor, I beg of you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the pastor. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud, and gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he'll lift you up. At the right time, give all your worries and cares to God. Because he cares for you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In kindness, God has called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Pretty practical. Not easy. I mean, you can sum it up on, and simply. Live like a royal. Live like Jesus. Well, I can't do that. Are you trying? Are we even trying anymore? Or are we so busy putting bumper stickers on the back of our car saying, I'm not perfect, just saved, that we make excuses for us not living royal? Hey, another apostle, it isn't just Paul. And I don't have a lot of time here, but let me just read for you a couple verses from Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. 
Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourself together with peace. And then chapter four through chapter five, and I won't take the time to read it, basically lists the same thing that Peter just said. And I, and I want to say this, and, and then I want to go into communion. The purpose for this in the scriptures is to let you know that once you become the child of God and adopted, there are roles and responsibilities that we live out or not. And the reason they write these things is because most Christians aren't doing it. Not even them. They're pleading with us. You see, the truth is it's really hard. It's really, really hard for us to buy into the fact that our, our position in Christ is more important than our position in this culture. It's really hard. It is our task, though. And as your pastor and co-laborer and brother, I think we should try in 2018. I do. Men, I think you should try to lead your family spiritually. Well, my wife knows more about God than I do, and I'm not that good. And, and besides, I had an affair two years ago, and my wife knows it, and I can't live that down. So repent. Tell the truth. And be God's man. What do I do with my kids? They don't believe in me anymore. Tell them the truth. Ladies, live for God. Surrender. My life stinks. My kids scream. I'm fat. And my husband's a jerk. Those things all may be true. But you're a royal queen. Everything you think and feel and every reason you have for not living this way, every reason I have, may be valid if I were just living in the flesh. But I'm the child of the king. That's a game changer. I want to ask, how many of you have watched one episode of The Royal? Have, or, or The Crown? A lot of you. So for those of you who have not, just bear with me for a second. But I have a visual in my mind, and of course it's not a, it's not a picture of Christianity or whatnot. It's just, a, it's just something that's really made me think. But you know, all of the family is royal. Those of you who have been watching it, all of them, from Margaret to Edward, they're all royal. That's not the question. But in my mental picture of that whole series is Queen Elizabeth looking out the window of the palace as her husband gets in the sports car with his best friend. And they do a donut and take off. And she's just looking. And they end the, remember that visual? It's like six or seven times they show it in there where she's really lonely. And she's looking out the window. And as you're observing, you're kind of going, that's sad. What a lonely position that is for her. But you know what? There are things worth being lonely for. If you keep watching into season two, and some of season two is pretty racy, you begin to realize that sin, living in the flesh never works, not even for the world. There's never enough alcohol. There's never enough immorality. See, I can filter. There's never enough. And at some point, you long to be in the game again. The problem is, to be in the game, to experience the peace, the joy, the faithfulness, the kindness, the goodness, all the fruit of the Spirit, you've got to give control of your life to the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that a lot of counseling I'm doing, and even in my own heart, some of the things I wrestle with, is I want the fruit of the Spirit without surrendering to the Spirit. I want... For those of you who watched it, 
I'm a lot like Margaret. I want to be able to speak at these royal events. I just don't want to act like a royal. And you know what? I think that says a lot about Christians. The reason we don't experience the Spirit's work in our life is because we don't really want Him to work in our life unless it feels good. And I just read four chapters of 1 Peter that told us that we're going to suffer. And it seems to me you can go to any church any week and you can be told that it's going to be great if you give your life to God. And I'm here to tell you that Peter says that's not necessarily true. It will be great in the end, but it may not be great right now. And is God not worth that? I think so too. I don't know what 20, 2018 is going to hold. I, I have no idea. I hope it's not me with cancer. I hope it's not you with cancer. I hope we don't have a car accident. I hope my kids are healthy. I hope Carpenter's Way gets a billion dollars. I'll give each of you a thousand. I, I don't have that authority, but it felt good saying it. I hope that, I hope that uh, America surrenders her heart to God and our president gives his life to the Lord and stops tweeting. I hope I hope that the Democrats and Republicans get along. I hope that America makes $50 trillion and pays off our national debt. I hope that Rocket Man, I'm not going to say what I hope, but, but, but I hope for all those things. But they're not going to happen. Well, how can you say that? God wants good for you. He does want good for me, and he has stored the goodness up for me. And it is coming. Just not today. So in the meantime, 2018 for me is about learning to live like a royal. There's a lot of stuff I do just like you to feed my flesh to feel better. I like a big steak when I've had a rough day. What's the difference between a steak and a beer, to be honest with you? There's not. No difference. It's self-medicating. Self-medicating. When I try to fill that, that hole in here with me, I'm not trusting And I'm not going to experience the joy and the peace that the Lord promises to give until I actually act like a royal. Right? You get it? So I can stop. Oh, by the way, let me show you what God promises to us. John 14, 27. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Easy to say. Hard to do unless you realize your position in Christ. You do not become a royal by doing the things Peter told us to do. We're already royal. It's just whether or not we're going to fulfill the responsibilities of being a royal. And for those of you who haven't seen the second season of The Crown, let me just tell you how it ends. It would be better and lonely looking out the window of the palace, watching everybody else in your life be mad at you and partying, but to live up to the responsibilities of your position than to live the fool. And in 2018, I'm doubling down on living royal. I haven't been very good at it. Ask my kids. Don't ask my kids. They've been instructed to lie to you. We're all in this together. 
We gather together every week to sing songs that remind us of God's grace because we need it. So look in each other's face, tell each other we love each other, and we're praying for each other because we need each other. That's what we do. It was so cool to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma and know nobody there and then have dinner with the Clark family. That's my family. Molly just threw up in her throat. The truth is, that's my family. That's my family. There's something cool about being out of town and running into each other. Hey, we're family. So in that vein, let's have communion together. But we're going to do it different this morning. Every once in a while, we call it rip and dip because we don't know what else to call it. But I have to give specific instructions, especially during flu season. Do not stick your tongue in the glass of grape juice. I want you to take communion as family, or don't. But if you understand that you are, in fact, royal, the royal child of God, then respond to his call to live like royal by taking communion and saying this that's right, this is what made me royal. Take a piece of bread and just break it off of here and dip it in and give it to your wife. Then you take it. Then find a corner and put your arms around her and pray for her. And you pray for him. Some of you who are single parents, your kids are still in the room. Do the same. Serve each other. Pray for each other. Find a corner. Well, this is awkward. I come to church to sit. No more. No more. This is interactive. Please just take this and you just dip it in there and eat it. Don't stick it in twice. No double dipping or we will tackle you. <laughs> We're family like that. But I'm going to ask Dusty to play some soft music and we're going to just end, okay? It's going to be over. I want you to go and have a blast tonight celebrating the new year. Think about what it means this year to be royal. Embrace your position. Embrace your calling. Start now. Start now. Lord Jesus, we, we do love you. We just don't like what you have for our lives. The funny thing is it doesn't get any better because we don't live for you. We just feel like we're more in control. So I ask you, Father, for one simple thing. Give us the desire to live royal. We all know what that means. So give us the heart, the strength, and the desire. Thank you for adopting us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy New Year. Let's keep it kind of quiet in here. When you're ready, you can come up. There are these, all these stations. Come up as a family if you're alone. You come up alone. If you're with your family, come up with your family. If you're newly engaged, I don't want to pick anybody out. It's a good time to start leading your family. God bless you guys. Have an awesome New Year's Eve.